Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today, we have Norman Marks on the show. Norman's a former longtime CAE and was recently recognized by the president and CEO of the IAA, Richard Chambers, as one of the top 10 internal audit thought leaders of 2020. Uh, Richard Chambers goes on to say, if I were ranking the list, Norman would be at or near the top. So pretty high praise there and much deserved. So some of the things we talk about on the show is how audit can change our mindset about only looking for the risk. And we talk about this idea of also thinking about the opportunity and how audit can help with opportunities. Uh, this comes from Norman's most recent book, Risk Management for Success, um, that also includes a risk management maturity model that is um, very much worth looking into. We also talk about what to do when a company has poor objectives. So a lot of what audit does is tied to the company's objectives and, and supporting those. Um, so what do we do if the objective is bad? We also talk about Norman's single piece of advice that he would give to every auditor. And then, of course, I'm going to ask him about analytics. So we talk about uh, his perspective on the role of analytics in audit. The The book that I mentioned, Risk Management for Success, for whatever reason, it's not tied to Norman's author profile page on Amazon. So I've included a link just for that book specifically. And then I've also included a link to his profile page on Amazon that'll show all of his books. Um, so you can check them all out there. I highly recommend uh, one of his books called Auditing That Matters. Um, I looked on my Kindle and I have 85 books on there that I've read. Of all those books, Auditing That Matters is the most highlighted of all those. Not just, not just the most highlighted audit book, but the most highlighted book uh, of all 85 of those. So it's a very, very good um, audit resource. Um, I'm also going to include that top 10 internal audit thought leaders list of 2020. So you can connect with those folks um, on LinkedIn, as well as a link to Norman's blog. He's a, a very prolific blogger, probably puts two to three out a week and is uh, a very good resource to um, to check out. So here we go. All right. So one thing I did want to talk about, and this is, I think, maybe to start with kind of a direct quote from your latest book. Um, you say, as imperfect as these definitions are, risk is what might happen that could have an adverse effect on achieving objectives, and opportunity is what might happen that could have a favorable effect on achieving objectives. And, and thinking about just the importance of objectives and how much what we do in audit is related to what the objectives are, what I started to think more and more about is how do we determine what a good objective is since so much hinges on that the way i kind of think about it is you know if there's a a 
and I'll say bad for lack of better words, but if there's a bad objective and we're doing work um, around the risks and opportunities of that objective, the way I see it is similar to how I see analytics and data kind of, you know, garbage data in, garbage data out. So what would be maybe some advice or guidance that you would give on assessing what is a good objective and maybe even if we identify a bad objective within our company, how to approach the appropriate people to discuss that? That's an interesting question. And, and it's, a, it's a somewhat dangerous one because anytime you audit anything related to governance and the activities of the board, um, our boss, uh, the audit committee and uh, the CEO, uh, you've got to be very careful. Doesn't mean you can't do it. Uh, certainly means that you should be organized and prepared uh, before you undertake such an action. But I, I do talk about this, as you, as you mentioned, I talk about it in the book in terms of objective setting and um, what is required to, to have good objectives. So I think the first thing is that I would look at is, does the organization, does the board have a mission or purpose statement, which it believes in, which is more than just something to hang on the wall and, and, and sound good, but it's something that you actually want to achieve. Right. And then, and then the question is, will the objectives actually drive you to achieve that mission or purpose over time? Or are you sort of setting that mission and objective aside for the moment and, and working on other things which are perhaps more directly relevant to the executives and what they're trying to achieve personally. Right. Um, and and I've, I've certainly seen that, which is that the original purpose is, is really aspirational, sounds good, but that's not what the organization is doing from day to day. And that may be something that if I see that, I would simply have a discussion about that quietly with uh, the CEO and uh, the audit committee of the board to, to get their feedback on it. Um, it's not something that I would anticipate putting in any kind of uh, audit report. You've got to be careful with these things. And certainly general counsel is, is always my partner and a great resources, resource when doing that. The next thing is to, to look at the quality of the objectives and the, the objective setting process. Um, there are guidance out there, which I quote, things like SMART, um, specific, measurable, achievable, and, and so on. Um, and, I, and I provide some examples of objectives uh, which were not particularly, uh, they may have been specific, they may be measurable, but they weren't necessarily achievable. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one company where the uh, CAE, the head of internal audit, asked me to come in and give him some help. And in discussing what was happening with the organization and their risk taking, uh, he told me the story about how the company was really struggling. The company is really struggling to um, continue its, its growth, uh, to come up with new products, which would be profitable and uh, loved by, by customers. And they, for the year, they, proposed objectives uh, with targets to the board, which were achievable. They're a little bit of a stretch, but they felt they're achievable. And the board said, no, those are not acceptable because our investors want more. 
and they imposed um, targets and objectives for the for the company that simply were not achievable, um, and and drove management to take extraordinary levels of risk, which eventually caused the company to fail. Um, and this this is a real problem. But I think that uh, the the role of risk management, which is what I talk about in the book here, is to uh, help provide the information necessary to understand what might happen and what is achievable and and therefore set quality objectives. But I'm not sure that, like I said, that I would necessarily plan to put these in any kind of an official audit report that is in writing. Uh, rather is the sort of thing that um, I would be, it's, it's probably not the sort of thing that I would actually put in the audit plan or, or even um, anticipate doing an audit of, unless I already believe that there was a problem. Yeah. And, and in many organizations, um, I think that's the situation that the head of internal audit, uh, perhaps other members of, of the audit management staff, um, really does have a feel that the process of setting objectives across the organization is, is not very good. And therefore, uh, and at the top level, and, and therefore some work should be done to look at that and then have a, a more of an informal discussion with leadership. Now, when you come down to the, the next level of objectives, those at the business unit and department level, those I think are much more likely to be accepted as um, good internal audit practice rather than um, somewhat, it's, it's still political, but it's not quite as political. Right. Um, activity, so, and and certainly, I think that um, most most organisations do not do a very good job of cascading into uh, the enterprise objective down through the organisation to make sure that everybody is is working on the same ones. Um, I remember that uh, when I was in. Um, IT, and, and also when I was in the internal audit, both is, is at the same company at different times, um, my manager, my uh, my boss would uh, tell me to follow the instructions from human resources and develop personal objectives um, for myself and for also as a consequence for my for my teams, uh, plural, because I had multiple. And I would do that, and he said, well, after you've put your own, now figure out which enterprise objectives they can link to. So we didn't start with what is the organization trying to achieve and what can I, what is needed from me for them to achieve those objectives. It was the other way around. Okay, this is what I want to do. This is what you would think would be good for me to do. Now let's see if we can hook it on a tree somewhere and pretend that we actually thought about it from top down when it's in fact it's bottoms up. And we're really not thinking about what is necessary for the organization to receive from my team in order to achieve those objectives. So I think that um, this is a, a viable um, and an appropriate activity for internal audit, but it, it also, it certainly helps when there is already an idea that this is not being done well. Yeah. It, and, and therefore there's a, if you like a higher risk, a higher possibility that certain elements of the organization are going off in different directions.
Okay. I certainly saw this in spades um, at one of my companies where uh, the, and I, and I tell this story in, in, in a few of my publications where the um, CEO was, was visiting this, um, act, this, this, this business that we had in Mexico, in Guadalajara City. And I had been to the factory in Guadalajara the year before. And I remember going through, and it was massive, absolutely massive facility. And we went through two large cavernous um, buildings to get to the to the third building, which is where they were doing the manufacturing. And it was clear that the utilization of the, the plants was, was low. They were busy, but it was only one third of the capacity of, of, the, uh, of, of the, the factory. Well, he went down there to visit and he was told that uh, they just had a great success. They had bought in this major new contract uh, from a Canadian company to um, do their manufacturing, contract manufacturing. And they were going to fill up the second of these three um, large areas in the factory. And so he was very happy with that. And he started asking about the contract and asked them, well, is it going to be profitable? He said, well, it's going to add another 15% to our revenue. Yes, but will it be profitable? Well, our, our, our gross margin is about 8%. And he said, 8%? What's the net margin? Well, we'll, we'll make a small loss in the first year. Oh, first year? How many year contract is this? This is a five-year contract. What's the other provisions in the contract? Well, we had to commit to reducing our cost, our, our prices to them by 5% per year for each of the subsequent years. And he, th he was thinking, you're going to lose money in the first year. <laughs> you're probably going to lose money in each of the other ones. But they were very happy because they were now going to be able to spread the fixed cost over a larger um, uh, level of revenue. So the, the CEO said, why did you agree to such a, an onerous contract? And the management of Mexico, Guadalajara City, said, well, it was a, it was a very significant competition that we went through. We faced a very, very significant co uh, competition, and it was a bidding war. And we had to keep lowering our price until eventually we got it. They said, oh, who are you bidding against? Was it this company or that company? And it turned out it was our own factory in China that they were being against. And, and here you've got this wonderful situation where the objectives and, and what they are being measured against two large parts of the organization were totally contradictory and moving against and working against the objectives and the success of the organization as a whole. You know, it's a, that's a very extreme example, but certainly I think um, and I talk about it in the book, and, and there's sections in it, in, in uh, about it in the maturity model, where you can actually look at the quality of objective setting, because uh, people talk about embedding risk uh, into strategy setting. Well, I actually try to provide some some guidance there in, in the book. But so, yeah. so that's interesting. When I always find that um, auditing governance, which people talk about, is is a tough 
tough thing to do. And I talk about this also in, I, I believe in auditing that matters. Um, if, if you're thinking about auditing governance, don't audit everything relating to governance. Uh, break it into different pieces, pieces uh, which are, if you like, prioritized based upon the value to the organization of your work there. Um, and, and recognize that governance itself is huge. Uh, for example, the role of the, uh, the legal department in, in, in advising the board and top management is, is a very interesting area. And, and I've audited that one two or three different times at different companies. Um, and it can be very um, interesting audit to do, and it can be very um, informing uh, to, to management to, to help them understand what's really happening. Uh, I remember the first time I did that is many years, many, many years ago now, um, the, 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 the results uh, were so interesting that when the CEOs saw the draft, he wanted to discuss it one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and that led to actual changes in the leadership of, uh, of the legal department. Not, not firing people, but just making some decisions about how it should be organized and structured and how many people and, and all the rest of it. So right. that's my advice on governance. That's my advice on, on objective setting and, and looking at that, because it's, yeah. I think they're, they're important. But understand, just like everything, uh, only put your, your limited resources and effort into those areas where you think you can make a difference. Okay, and governance can be one, um, but uh, approach it carefully and um, make sure you, you're thinking about the end product before you start. Okay, perfect. I know the, so in the book, it's, it's a lot about finding the opportunities and, you know, in audit, we're always, what's the risk, what's the risk, what's the risk? And it's almost what you're saying is we should also identify what the opportunities are. So what, it, within the risk management landscape, so what is, like, what's audit's role in identifying opportunities and what are some actionable steps that we can take during the audit process and maybe at what point in the audit process um, do we ask that question? So like we usually ask, or we always ask, what's the risk? Should we, should we almost say, follow that up with, okay, where's the opportunity? Okay, so this is, this is an important area. And, and the reason I ask for, for actionable, you know, steps, like what should we do? Where should we do it kind of thing is because, you know, the opportunity thing is kind of a mindset. You have to develop that mindset of identifying opportunities or looking for opportunities and not just risk and, you know, changing or developing a mindset requires, you know, to me, either a lot of passion for the subject or discipline and or discipline, which is kind of tough, you know, to, to come by. Uh, it's something that has to be developed in and of itself. So that's why you know, I was hoping you could kind of speak to also not just the mindset, but, at, you know, this is something that we should be doing and this is how we should be doing it. So, so Trent, this is a very important. Um, it is slightly different from, from the way you phrased it, which is that our job is not to find fault. Mm -hmm. Our job is not to be the corporate police. Right. And internal audit needs to change from that attitude if it has it. Our job is to help the organization be successful, right? To help them succeed, to provide them with the valuable assurance, advice, and insight that will lead to success, not just avoiding failure. Right. 
and and too often we are thinking about avoiding failure. Uh, we need to recognize that internal controls really are things that happen or are done to to make sure that things happen the way in which you want them to happen. Okay, it's it's not to manage or mitigate risk. It's it's also to to seize opportunity, as you mentioned. And in the book, I. I, I separate risk and opportunity into, into two different words, but then I use them all the time together, right? Because um, they're not separate. They're not two sides of the same coin, uh, which are some of these things that people talk about. Um, I really wanted to talk about the things that might happen. So if we are, as internal auditors, focus on what will it take for the organization to succeed? What will it take for this department, this manager? For this team to be successful in in uh, what they're trying to achieve, we should be looking at all the things that might happen. Now, you can say, if you want, if it makes it easier, that you can express an opportunity as the as as a risk. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if, for example, um, there was one company where the CEO of a business unit was talking about where he should spend his time to drive sales. And I talk about, there's an example like this in the book. And you can, you can either have the CEO go and work in Dublin and drive that revenue, or in UK, or in Germany, or in Indonesia, right? It can't be in every in all of these, maybe in two or three, you can't go in all of them. And if you choose the wrong one, you're failing to drive all the revenue you can. So you can talk about it in terms of failing to seize the opportunity as a risk. Okay. But it's, it's really recognizing that um, there are ways to optimize performance. There are ways to optimize revenue, um, drive costs down, improve employee performance and the failure to seize those is a risk. Okay, having, having said all of that, to me, it's a matter, matter of adopting the mindset of being a business person who happens to be an internal auditor and thinking about what is the best thing to do for the organization. Um, and it, it, it's not just looking at the things that could fail, but the, the opportunity to take advantage of something. So. One of my favorite stories um, is, is when I was uh, with, with this company more than 10 years, a company called Costco Corporation, which is mostly an oil refining and marketing company, but it also owned all the um, Circle K convenience stores and 76 gas stations. And I was in the executive um, meeting for the division and the CEO asked the head of marketing what the status was in the advertising campaign. Now in that business, advertising um, is a significant driver of revenue. And uh, in previous years, we had we had bought out advertising campaigns that trumpeted the wonderful coffee because they'd gone to a lot of trouble to, to get premium coffee in each of the convenience stores at a good price, which is very attractive and drove, drove a lot of uh, customers to, um, to come to our store versus 
pay 7-Eleven or anybody else because our coffee was better. And so the CEO was asking, what's the status? And the head of marketing said, we can't think of anything new and different to talk about. And the CEO was quite upset because without that advertising campaign, they, they didn't think they were going to hit their, their revenue targets, right? Uh, they actually needed to have a very effective way of encouraging people against a backdrop of our competitors coming up with new ideas to bring people into our store. And they talked about this and they, they said they basically ran out of ideas. <laughs> so I went after, after the meeting, I went up to the CEO's office and sat down with him and, and I offered to, to see if I could find out an audit, if you like, um, but not necessarily going to have official audit report. It's more like a project, if you like, but consulting project, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Right. But it was, it was, it was a, an activity, a project that I would perform myself to find out what had happened to the creativity within the organization. And so I did that. <laughs> I went and talked to the marketing people. How did they come up with new ideas? And did they actually talk to the people who were working directly with the customer? And they told me that they didn't anymore because a few years ago they had listened to the people who were running the stores, who had direct day-to-day -day contact. And all of these people had come up with these wacky ideas of doing this and doing that. And they spent a lot of money and it had failed. So they weren't going to listen to them anymore. So here they were, people who never got out into the field except to get coffee on their way into the work, <laughs> who, who actually didn't have their finger on what was interesting to the customer. They didn't have uh, any kind of conduit to understand what the store managers um, felt was being asked for by their customers. And so I just went back and, and told the CEO this, and it made, it made a difference. It made a difference because I was there um, looking for ways in which I could contribute assurance, advice, and insight that would help the organization be successful, whether it is looking at um, how can the, the use of the CEO or the head of sales directly on a particular um, deal make sense. For give you an, another example, sorry, at, at, um, at my company, Business Object, software company, uh, where we were looking at, at revenue and why um, we we're always missing on the revenue projection. One of the things we found out was that the, the salespeople didn't like the, um, the corporate system for recording sales and potential sales deals. And they would keep their records of contacts with customers on spreadsheets and not put them into the corporate system. So the, the leadership of the, of the sales department didn't know the real status of deals. And therefore they were not necessarily able to put the appropriate resources, encouragement, um, uh, suggest discounts or, or other kind of uh, negotiation tactics on those. And therefore we weren't necessarily um, driving all the revenue that was 
potentially available. And so this is something that we, again, we, we brought to uh, leadership and provided them with, with that information. And that was therefore able to, for them to, to work on that. Once they had better information, they could now optimize revenue much better. But it's a mindset. Yeah. It, it's, it's not really a, a difference in step one, step two, step three, step four. Right. It's thinking about what are the things that were not only um, holding the company back, but could um, enhance the operation of the organization. And thinking of ourselves, of what would I do different if I was in charge of this department? Right. Adopting that business mindset that I'm here to help mindset, the, the, the mindset of my job is to help the organization be successful. And that involves and includes avoiding failure, but it's not not limited to that. And we really need to be uh, thinking about um, injecting our own ideas and perspectives, our own imagination and creativity yeah. um, in, into suggesting ways in which things could be done better. And, and one final um, story that, that came to mind, um, whether this is risk or opportunity, I'll let everybody decide. <laughs> Excuse me. But at my in my very first year as head of internal audit, again, this is at Tosco, uh, in the very early days, um, I asked one of my managers to audit the treasury function. And one of the things that she mentioned um, and, and put in the audit report, very smart lady, this very, very smart lady, uh, she, she, she pointed out that all the overnight funds were being invested into uh, the most secure, um, low interest bearing um, securities. And there's a history to that because only a few years earlier, the company had been very, very cash poor. And so they just couldn't take any risk. And so they, they, they took these overnight funds, instead of just leaving them in the bank, you can actually roll them into these different um, securities and make a little bit of money. But anyway, they were doing this in the very, very lowest um, risk level, uh, the, the highest AAA, whatever it is, rating. And she pointed out that the company as a whole was no longer in that cash poor environment. There was a healthy cash flow. And in addition, the, the company was now engaged in trading in derivatives. Mm -hmm. So the, the company's attitude towards taking risk had uh, changed dramatically. And therefore, we had this very constructive discussion, first with the treasurer and then with the CFO, um, about whether it made sense to now take more risk in the overnights, generate more interest, and, and drive some value back to the organization. And they, 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 they found that very constructive and helpful. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. 
Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. I, I do have two other questions, but I still want to make sure that we kind of get this one ironed out. To develop that mindset, I think like what I was thinking as you were talking was, I know a lot of times, like if I even just get stuck in, in like walkthrough or something, uh, I'm not sure what the next question should be. I would always just come back to what's the risk and even just say that, okay, well, what's the risk to that, you know? And, and so that's why I was kind of getting at, should we also ask what's the opportunity? And so I hear what you're saying, um, but what would be a way to bring us back to that mindset? Like what's a question that we could ask of ourselves to make sure that we always had that mindset? Is it, um, hey, what might happen? Is that a good question to ask? Or one way that I've been doing it and didn't even realize that it's kind of applicable, when I would go talk to management, kickoff meeting, whatever, I would always say, look, I don't know what your involvement with audits been or what your perception is. The way I look at it is we are your internal consulting firm. So instead of having to pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to McKinsey and whoever else, that's what we can do for you effectively. Um, if you had that resource, which you do, if you had a, a McKinsey that was free to you, how would you use them? And that's kind of how I've set it up to where they can say, you know, we would like you to do this or this or this, or this is the risk or, you know, opportunity, whatever. So is there, is there some way to like bring about that mindset in us then maybe it's the, the overall question I'm trying to get at. Well, I think the first thing to do is stop talking about risk. Yeah. Okay. Because risk is a word that um, is not seen as a positive one by management. Um, it's, it's something that stops them doing what they want to do rather than uh, actually helping them in some way. So I think it's better to talk about, what could go wrong? Yeah. And, and how could it affect uh, what you're trying to do? So, and also what needs to go right? What needs to go right? And and then what do you think we're missing? What do you think we could be doing better? Where are the, the things that are holding you back from, from uh, doing a better job or, more, or, or the organization getting more out of this? Are you getting full coordination and cooperation from everybody else. Um, where do you spend your time? What do you worry about? What do you think about? What would you like to do if you had the resources? I think it's about making sure that management, the people uh, making decisions, people doing actions, have a good understanding of what might happen. Mm -hmm. It's not that we necessarily ourselves always have to understand. It's better that management understands and we know that they understand. They are closer to it. So um, if this comes back down to, you know, is it managed, is it an internal audit's job to to find risk? Yeah. Well, actually, it's, a, it's, it's an internal audit's job to make sure that management right. understands what, what might happen, um, both the, the negative and the positive, and then is able to evaluate all of that to, to make the right decision and inform an intelligent one. But I think that uh, things like where do you spend your time what was on the agenda of your last meeting? What are the sort of the things that, that go wrong? Um, what are the things you find when you're doing your work? So if you're talking to somebody and they're doing some kind of reconciliation, it's always interesting to find out, well, what are some of the things that you find? What are some of the questions you have to ask management about or, or this department or that department? Uh, are there times when um, you wish you could be doing something else? Or, you, or something in addition to this. Um, 
questions like that, much more um, friendly, open, inquiring, rather than interrogating, <laughs> uh, kind of questions. Um, what advice would you give me if I had to do this job? All, all kind of different things to, to bring out um, what we need to be focusing on. And, and like I said, it's, it's always better to see if management understands what might happen. Because frankly, and this is something that internal auditors frequently don't do, and they realize, don't realize the importance of this, is they don't assess whether management has a good understanding of what might happen, the risks and the opportunities. Yeah. And if they don't have an understanding, why should you expect them to be dealing with that appropriately? Yeah, I think that's what kind of brought it home for me then and thinking about the mindset is, again, because that's the thing that that I hear a lot from internal audit is audit is supposed to understand the risk and, and assess the risk and it's full management supposed to understand the risk. So I think when you put it again, like back on management uh, to understand what might happen, I think that for me personally, that's where um, it kind of clicked. And just as a side note, the question that you said, some of those questions, I'm like, I'm going to go back and write all those down and I'll tell you why in a second but one of them being, where do you spend most of your time? There was yeah. another question, or at least two that I know of, and I think it was in Auditing That Matters that I read. And I forget that, I can't, I can't remember what it is now, but I use it on discovery calls with uh, prospects. And like I, the note that I put in the book was brilliant question. And, like that was, <laughs> and, and I'll just, I'll ask that. And now I'll ask, where do you spend most of your time? Like those are, those are just like good, good questions. And it's something that, like as I host this show, I spend a lot of time trying to develop really good questions because I think that there's a lot of value in having really good questions. So um, I definitely want to feature, you know, those questions that you ask because they're all really good and, and we should be asking more of those. Um, and I'll, I'll, I know there's at least three that you mentioned that I was like, I'm asking my prospects that one, that one, and that one going forward. So you might have a, a career in sales that you may or may not have noticed that you had a, um, a natural talent for. There's, there's another question which um, I should have added. Okay. Why? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this? Why, why is it necessary to do this? What are you trying to achieve? What's the purpose of this? And do you think it could be done better? Right. Well, that wonderful question, that why is, 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 is such a powerful word. And sometimes you, you'll ask somebody, why are they doing it? And you'll get that worst answer in the world which is because i've always done it this way i've always done it so i've always or, done it. or or even worse why are you doing this because the auditors told me to do it uh, that's, yeah that's terrible i get that's horrible and if they and if they really cannot see the purpose they cannot see the the value in doing it you should be asking well is there a real reason or is this a waste of time if they don't understand if there is a good reason and they don't understand it that's a problem by itself. Yeah. But that uh, that's a wonderful three-letter word rather than a four-letter word. Yeah. <laughs> ask. Why? Yeah. Awesome. Well, all right. Um, two other things that I wanted to to ask you about. So I am in analytics, and we've had analytics topics on here before, spe people specifically that do analytics work. Um, but from your perspective, what role should analytics maybe I'll say primarily play in the audit process. And I say primarily because there's so much that can be done with it. And I know you have experience in, in using analytics, what, 30, 40 years ago. Um, I'm not gonna tell you how many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Excellent, about a years ago. Let me let me just tell you that when I was in in London as a, a chartered accountant, um, my first job running um, an engagement as an audit senior, um, we used analytics, but they were manual analytics. We took all of the um, highly detailed management reports, and we and we 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 did analytics on them, actually using um, some some fairly traditional financial ratios to, to look at uh, results and, and inventory levels and, and, and sales trends and all the rest of that across the portfolio of products to identify anomalies. Yeah. So I was doing this um, a very, very long time ago <laughs> uh, before any of this was, was uh, being done with software. So yeah, I think the, the so coming back to it, the value, what a lot of companies do, and I'll, I'll, I'll approach this backwards, what a lot of these companies do, and, and I've talked to um, a number of very, very large organizations with massive internal audit departments that have done this. They set up an, an analytics group and they turn them loose and they look for data and then they look for reports and, and stuff that they can do with that data. And they they produce these results and then they expect and hope that somebody's going to use them. Hmm. Instead, what you need to be doing is looking at from an internal audit point of view, what information do I need? What risks or opportunities or what kind of what kind of an analysis would help me to to address what I'm trying to address in my audit work? Or even whether it's to understand changes in the business. Mm -hmm. So just like in, in, in any software development, you start with understanding your needs and then you look at alternative solutions. So I think first thing to do is understand what it is I'm trying to achieve. And now how can I best get that information? Uh, so for example, <clears throat> um, when I was working uh, with, with Coopers and Librand in Atlanta, I was auditing a very, very large data centers um, for AT&T, Long Lines Data Center. Um, and I was finding that they were having a lot of um, failures of production programs overnight. And they were also having a, a large number of emergency changes being made. So in those days, I was the techie. And I was able to to go into basically the audit trail within the operating system and create reports that showed uh, not only the incidence of emergency changes, but also the incidence of production failures. And then I was able to put that on the chart, show the actually a logarithmic increase um, in production failures. And what was happening was the production failures would lead to an emergency change. Yeah. That wasn't being properly tested and it would fail again. And then you'd have a continued cycle except for the application programmers were getting increasingly tired because they're getting called out overnight and they're making more and more changes uh -huh. and, and more and more um, errors. And so, but I started with the need and then I went and said, what data do I need to do? capture and understand what's happening. And then I was able to produce a report which I took to management and um, 
let's just say that had a rather significant impact because management of the data center had no idea this was happening. No idea at all. Uh, but facts are facts. But it started with the need. Now, the problem is for those who are wedded with analytics, into, into analytics and, and consider themselves as analytics persons rather than auditors or management people, is that you fall in love with the tool. In today's environment where we need to be agile um, and constantly changing the audit plan um, to address what matters today and tomorrow, we're not doing the same audits year after year. And so if you make a big investment in analytics, because it's necessary in year one, you may not be able to use that same data, mm -hmm. same analytics in years two and three. By the time you get to year four, you're on different systems and, and you need different analytics. Yeah. So the, the value can be um, very different when it comes to analytics that need sophistication and a lot of effort. On the other hand, I've been a very strong proponent of the idea that, uh, and I had all of my auditors trained in using their laptops or iPads and using the, the company's own analytics to um, produce on-demand analytics, um, which, which it, the same way that management was using analytics, we would either use the, their analytic results or modify it a little bit or use the same tools. And we were able to, to use analytics that we were able to develop in a matter of hours or days rather than some of these larger ones where it can take significantly uh, longer time. And therefore the, the investment was low and the value was high. Yeah, that's a really uh, good So for example, at Business Objects, um, we had this audit, uh, happened to be an audit of legal, okay? And uh, uh, one of the problems was that the legal department was so consumed with spending time reviewing sales, potential sales contracts, absolutely necessary for revenue recognition, that they weren't able to spend the time advising management on mm -hmm. other issues. We had an issue, we had a problem. Um, and rather than simply recommend they hire more lawyers, uh, we, we looked at the workload and my auditors, my two auditors um, in, in France, were able to use the company's own analytics to stratify all of the uh, potential sales deals and define at what level it made sense to have a lower level of legal review versus the more larger contracts uh, where it needed the full review. Mm -hmm. And so by stratifying, we're able then to make a specific recommendation as to where the cutoff should be and therefore reduce the, the, uh, the workload of the legal department so that they were then able to provide more services to management. Yeah. And so we had, we started with a specific need. Then we went to where's the data, can we actually do this? And with a matter of hours, we were able to, to generate reports, then discuss with management where the cutoff should be. But it started with define the need rather than define the data. Yeah, appreciate that. I think I told you last time we talked, you're what, I don't know, eight or 10 pages on audit analytics and auditing that matters. Uh, one of the books that you wrote is probably 
better than the hundreds of articles on analytics and audit um, that I've read. I mean, take them all together, throw them away and just pick up the book and read 10 pages. And like, it makes, you, it's like, it's the best 10 pages on that. So I, I really appreciate your opinion there and was really curious what it was um, just specific to that. I do have one more question. This is a question I've asked a, a few people and it's one of my favorite, I think that I've kind of come up with, but if you could grab every auditor in the world and shake them by the shoulders and just, and say, do this, like, just do this thing, forget all the other stuff, just do this thing. What would it be? Understand the business. Perfect. Understand, understand the business, but it goes deeper than that. So understand the business. Now, how can I help? Mm -hmm. How can I help? Right. So, one of, the, one, one of the things that got me into trouble a long time ago with, with Richard Chambers is uh, came from um, a series of presentations and speeches I did where I talked about the fact that internal auditors were always constantly talking about, I want a seat at the table, I deserve a seat at the table. Right. And, and I said, well, who do you invite to your table? <laughs> you invite people to, to your table simply based on title. Uh -huh. No, you invite people to your table because they... They have something interesting to say, something interesting to share. You're going to benefit by having them there. So if we want to um, be offered gladly a seat at the table, you need to show and prove through performance that you deserve to be there because they are benefiting from that. And I am... No, this comes back to Tosco again, and I've written about this, and, and I'm not trying to boast. This is just an example of what can be achieved. Sure. Because I had a most wonderful team at, at Tosco of business-oriented people who were incredibly valued by the organization such that when um, the company was acquired and I left the company, many of these people were then hired by management. Um, in fact, my IT audit team, when I, when I started the IT audit team in, in Phoenix, I had a, uh, a staff turnover of about three or 400%. <laughs> because no sooner did I hire an IT auditor than they were getting sucked into IT. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so their, their, their whole IT security team was actually former members of mine. But anyway, so I had the most wonderful team. So this is not just me uh, by any stretch. But I had... Um, a situation where the in, in Phoenix, I was in one of the because I, I went to each of the business units uh, executive committee meetings, and I was there once when the attorney general, um, actually candidate for attorney general uh, for the state of Arizona, was visiting, and the CEO of the division started introducing everybody around the table. I, here's our CFO, here's our head of marketing, head of HR. And then he came to me and he stopped. And I was thinking, what is he going to say? Hmm. And he said, here's Norman. He runs internal audits. He makes us stay efficient. <laughs> he helps us stay efficient, right? Um, and I thought that was fantastic uh -huh. because that reflected his need in a very low margin uh, business. Um, and, and the value that we, 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 we gave him. The, 
governor of the state of New Jersey visited our refining division. And I wasn't there at the time, I was told about this afterwards, but he was asking the CEO of, the, of that division uh, why the company was being so successful when other companies were actually moving out of state. And yet we were buying their assets yeah. and growing revenue. And he said a few things, but one of the things he said was that internal audit gave him a competitive advantage. Nice. So it's when we are looking to not only understand the business, but contribute to the success of the business through that assurance, advice, and insight that they need. And that is why I, I talk about auditing what matters or internal auditing that matters because telling people what they need to know, when they need to know it in an easy way for them to consume and, and act on it. Now we're providing them information and we're actually helping them and we're making that contribution to the business. Yeah. And that is that is the one thing I would want them to do is stop thinking of yourself as um, somebody there who's, whose job is to have findings. Your job is to help everybody else succeed. By you helping them succeed, you're helping yourself succeed. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.